This podcast is a production of Schweitzer, a United Methodist Church, transforming lives by making disciples of Jesus Christ. Well, there's got to be a better way than learning to live without lust than, than that. Um, today we're talking about this very delicate subject, and we recognize that there are a lot of false narratives out there in terms of sexual desire and uh, where to cross the line and what's really going on in our minds and when something is pure and when something is not pure. And uh, there's all kinds of advice. And so it's kind of hard in our culture today to get our bearings. Well, I want to start out today by uh, talking just for a moment about uh, day two of my trip to Montana. Day one was the deal with anger, and day two, no, it's not going to be about lust. I hate to disappoint you. (laughs) But day two was spent enjoying Yellowstone. Susan and I had a great time walking along the rim of the canyon, going up the Grand Tetons, uh, seeing bison and uh, moose and bears, and finishing off with Old Faithful. And then as we're leaving Yellowstone Park in the evening, in the sunlight evening of Montana, we're going into West Yellowstone, and we know that to get to our destination, this campsite, about two hours to the northwest, that we got to find Highway 191. And we're looking for the sign, but I, I, I swear to goodness, there, there is not a sign that says the highway. It must be the street sign. And we just keep going west and further west. And we could have stopped and asked for directions, but I was driving, so that wasn't going to happen. And we keep going west, and we know we've gone too far when we see this sign that says, Welcome to Scenic Idaho. Well, at that point, we get our bearings. But I think that is a metaphor for us today in terms of where we're going as a culture in terms of our topic today. We're just going with the flow. And the mainstream of the traffic is just moving continuously in the direction of celebrating the world narrative that all sexual desire is good and that we are to feed that and to honor that and to go with it wherever it goes. You see, the problem was not that we took a wrong turn at West Yellowstone, it's that we missed our turn. And I'm suggesting you today that our culture is so saturated in the distorted view of human sexuality that if we don't take a turn off, if we don't pause, if we don't stop and get our bearings, uh, we're going to continuously go down a road that leads to a destination that is destructive and is destructive in our culture, in our life. Human sexuality, if you want to look at a a beautiful metaphor, is a metaphor of a river, almost like a clear, pure mountain stream. It's something that's beautiful and wonderful. And yet we know, like in all streams and in all rivers, it can get fouled up. There's a lot of damage, there's a lot of garbage that's thrown into the river. And we also know that when a river gets out of bounds and it goes beyond its banks, it can become unruly 
and very destructive with everything in its path. That's what's happening to us as our culture today. As we follow the false world narrative that all sexual desire is good and that it's natural for a man to focus on a woman's body parts, allowing his sexual drive to take him wherever his mind will go. It's perfectly natural and normal for a woman to fill her mind with all kinds of reading of romance novels and creating this image of Mr. Right in her mind. It's perfectly understandable for people today to have casual sex. And we have completely bought into the lie that as long as two consenting adults are involved, then it's okay. Nobody else gets hurt. As if our human sexuality and our sexual impulse has nothing to do with what is sacred and doesn't affect every relationship involved between those two consenting adults. We just have bought into the notion that the good life is a lust-filled, sexually libertine life. You know, just this week, British television has created a new TV show just launched called Sex in a Box, where you can see three couples having the sexual act and then talking about it, and that's programming. When Susan and I uh, were watching J. Michael Fox's new TV series last Thursday night, we thought he was kind of funny back in the day. He's got Parkinson's disease. You know, we're really rooting for the guy. And, and the cast of characters isn't really too bad in terms of, of the plot development, but it is just layered and layered with just this whole notion of this libertine, go-casual sexuality, go-with-it-however-you-ever-want. And that's the culture that we live in. I mean, Jonathan and I and Susan are sitting watching the Cardinals, and the Hardy commercial comes on. How many have seen it? Come on, guys. It's all geared to us. And Susan looks at Jonathan and I, and she says, if you boys ever buy anything at Hardy's, you're dead. <laughs> I haven't bought anything at Hardy's for years. I mean, it is all around us. We are living in this culture, and I am suggesting to you that it is so mainstream, and it is so fluent throughout every media outlet that you can imagine that unless we hit the pause button, unless we take a second course of action, then it's going to lead us to Idaho when we don't want to go there. Now, there's another false narrative, though. It's the false narrative that we just witnessed up here. It's those preachers. It's those holiness people. It's those Bible thumpers. It's those people that are suggesting that all sexual desire is something that's, that's wrong or evil. I mean, it's hard for me to explain to you the culture that I grew up in, but in my culture, my mother, godly person that she is, would, could never say the word sex. I mean, when a woman got pregnant, she couldn't even say pregnant. They were in a family way. I'm a little boy thinking, how much does a family weigh? I don't get this. <laughs> and so it's all rooted into this church history and this bias and this distortion of the Christian narrative that's been with us. 
Origen, back in the second century, a leading Christian thinker, actually had himself castrated because he thought that all fleshly desire was evil. The Council of Nicaea, way back in 325, which created the Nicaean Creed, suggested at that council that bishops, leaders in the church, need to be celibate. And so we began this idea that celibacy and singleness is a spiritual badge where fidelity and faithfulness in marriage, well, you're just not on the top rung of the ladder if you got to live that way and settle for marriage. The church during the Middle Ages forbade sex 40 days before Easter, 40 days before Christmas, and other days totaling 252 days a year. You talk about married couples looking forward to Christmas and Easter. <laughs> Woo! Now, we like to give the Puritans a hard time. We like to think the Puritans are like that, oh, that woman pastor we just saw a while ago, you know, all dressed up in her blackness. But you know what? That wasn't true. Richard Baxter, I love this, a Puritan teacher, said to the married couples in his day, keep up your conjugal love in a constant heat and vigor. Bet you guys didn't think he was going to hear that in church this morning. <laughs> and so we have these distortions. We have the false worldly Christ narrative, and we have the false Christian narrative that's prevalent in our thinking. And it's really hard for us. To get our bearings, it's hard for us to understand where is the truth? How am I supposed to feel? What am I supposed to think? When do I know that I've crossed the line? And what do I do about the reality of when my sexual desire becomes lust-filled? Let's look at the words of Jesus in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 5. And in this series of messages on learning to live like Jesus, we're talking about how that Jesus is lifting up these ethical teachings on various everyday topics. And today he's talking about the reality of the topic today. And so Jesus says to us, You have heard that it was said you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Thank you, Jesus. You've even made it more difficult. You said that adultery isn't simply the physical act, but it's actually the internal act. It's the motive. It's the intent of the heart. You're saying that if even if I look at a woman, come on, I've committed adultery. Well, it is interesting that we, we really do need to, to differentiate between just natural physical attraction and chemistry and, and, and being aware of a person's beauty and, and being attracted in a way that, that, yes, that person is someone that, wow, you know, that, that's, that's okay. When I was in seminary, there were a bunch of young seminary single guys that got together and prayed, actually prayed that God would remove their sex drive. And I remember wise old Dr. Kinghorn said and said, Brothers, be faithful. God does not answer all your prayers. 
But what Jesus is talking about here is lustful leering. He's talking about looking at a woman. He's objectifying in the sense that you're looking at a woman's body parts or a man's body parts. And you're looking at the merchandise. The old saying is, yeah, it doesn't hurt to look at the merchandise anyway as long as I don't touch it. Well, yeah, it does. You know, you're, you're beginning to, to focus on that in terms of what this person can do for you to satisfy your drive and your sexual gratification, and that becomes the focus of your life. And married people, we can do that to, the, to our spouse as well. Rather than really entering into a relationship that is mutually expressive of the mystical union of Christ and the church and the deepest spirituality that we know that reflects that physically is the holy, sacred, sexual act of, uh, of relationship. You know, if we can distort that and mess that up. And Jesus is saying, I don't want you to go there. And so he gives these two illustrations. This just blows your mind. He gives these two illustrations of what to do when you're, when you're struggling with this. And he says these words, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than to throw your whole body into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than your whole body to go into hell. Now, there's different ways that you can interpret his words. Some people interpret this literally. Origen was a literalist. <laughs> Origen had himself castrated. We noted that. Some people will say, you know, okay, well, I'm going to just cut my right hand off. I'm going to cut off any body part that's bothering me or keeping me <laughs> from living this holy life. Well, that's one interpretation. I don't recommend it. There's also the metaphor interpretation. And some people have said, friends, that this lust addiction is so strong in your life that if I was to let go of that, if I was to cut that off, if I was to cut out the pornography, I was to cut out what I do every day, it would be like cutting off my right hand because it's become so much naturally a part of me. And I think that's a reality some people are facing. You know, it's also interesting that Jesus can speak in a hyperbole. He can speak in a way that exaggerates the point. I think he can be speaking in a way that says, you know what, for you guys to do this, it'd be about as ridiculous as cutting off your right hand or gouging out your eye. And I think Jesus is saying, you know, if we do this on our own, if we are trying to fight lust on our own effort, our own strength, or we think we're going to take lust head on, Jesus is saying this is about as ridiculous as cutting off a member of your body. And so what do you do, friends, when we've wound up in Idaho? What do you do? I want us to, to think about who is driving your car today. Who's driving your car? Your car is your soul. Your car is your spirit. Your car is who you are. Who's driving that car? When addiction is driving that car, uh, when addiction is in control of your life, you're heading for a train wreck. It's only a matter of time. 
We know that if addiction, we, some people are addicted to anger. If anger's driving the car, you got road rage. How many of you seen road rage driving the car? If lust is driving the car, it's only a matter of time until something really bad happens. That's destructive, not just in your own life, but a whole lot of other people get hurt in the process. And so it, it takes a lot of strength and courage and help to wrestle lust from the steering wheel of your car. And you may need to have some help from other people and resources to pull it off. There are resources and ways to do that. But you've got to really get, you've got to wrestle, you've got to make the decision, you've got to will this in your mind that it's going to happen. TripleXChurch.com is a resource that many people point to just as, you know, most people get addicted to uh, pornography in a very secretive way in the same way you can go very privately and safely to this website and there's resources there on that website in terms that offers accountability and free counseling and ways in which you can do screening and, and ways in which you can involve other people in, in helping you in wrestling with this addiction. It does start with your willing, not your willpower, but in your willingness to stop the car. Another thing that uh, some people have done and this is a good thing for teenagers. This is a good book for parents. It's a good book in the whole boyfriend and girlfriend relationship when hormones rage. What do you do? Wendy Shallot's book, Return to Modesty, is, is a book that, that I recommend. Wendy Shallot's book, Return to Modesty in a Culture that doesn't know how to blush. And there's a scripture that just kind of leaped out at me on the page this week, and so I want to share this with you. There's so many scriptures, but if you want to write this down, it's, it's from Psalm 101, verses 2 and 3. And this, this really kind of centers us, you know, as a family person, as a mom, as a dad, as a young man, a young woman, I will study the way that is blameless. You know, I'm going to look at a different way of life. I'm going to focus on not what's counterfeit. I'm going to look at what's real and what's good. When shall I attain it? I will walk with integrity of heart within my house. I will make that decision. I can choose to do that. I will not set before my eyes anything. That is base. And that kind of goes right into our uh, soul training exercise this week that we're recommending. Do you think we're crazy in suggesting that we do a 48-hour fast this week? A fast from anything on the Internet, television, newspapers, magazines, radio stations, video games, iPods, MP3 players, and stereos, and anything else you can imagine. Are you up for it? Well, personally, I'm thinking... Well, the Cardinals are on TV Thursday. <laughs> I'm going to do this early in the week. Try it. See what happens to your mind. 
You know, we have got so much stuff going all the time that when you take a fast from all this input and all this stuff, it's scary because you face the darkness and you face all these other things that's raging like animals and whatever controls you, guess what? When you take a fast from all that stuff, it's just going to be inside of you. And we don't want to stop and we don't want to face that. But we can do it. Actually, friends, I want to share with you a, a discipline that I do. And, and this doesn't work for everybody, but I really think it can work for those who want to try to figure out how to make it work. But I do a, I go once a month away. And it's just this Friday through Saturday morning. I did it just this week. It's a 24-hour fast. I go to the house of prayer. It's an hour and 15-minute drive down south of Ava. And I unplug, and there's no phone, there's no internet, there's no nothing. And what happens with that is, as I unplug, is that I have to face the stuff inside my mind and heart, the good and the bad and the ugly. It's not all bad, it's just that, you know, it's just hard to turn off the mind. And past that, though, I'm, I'm able to begin to listen to the voice of God. I kind of still the soul. And I come out of that lighter. I'm not as worried. I'm not as stressed out. I mean, there is so much bad news and junk coming at us all the time. If we don't ever stop and do the fast thing, and the idea is not that we're getting rid of all this stuff. It's that we are giving God an opportunity to speak into the silence of our life. And God is always speaking. <laughs> it's just that we can't hear because of all the other noise. I really want to encourage you to do that 48-hour fast this week. And it can even be tougher, can it, in the middle of doing everyday life. That's the real challenge. But there's something else here that I want us to, to do right now. I want you to imagine um, you're just driving down the road, and as you're driving your car, Jesus is standing along the roadside, and he's, he's thumbing for a ride. And so you stop the car, and uh, are, you, are you going to invite Jesus in the car? Where are you going to put him? Well, a lot of people will put him in the trunk. You know, because we want him there when we can pull him out. He's just kind of cargo with us. I mean, there's some people that can believe all the right things about Jesus, but they don't have a relationship with Jesus. He's not any good because you just got him in the trunk. But what if you allow him to be in the back seat with you? Well, you in the back seat behind you and... Well, you can talk to him whenever you need him. Pull him out whenever you want him. But what if you invite Jesus to be in the front seat with you? And some people think, well, Jesus wants to drive the car. But you know what? I don't think Jesus, in, in all due respect to Carrie Underwood, Jesus take the wheel. I don't think Jesus really wants to take the wheel. I think Jesus wants you to be the responsible adult. I think he wants you to be the Christ follower. I think Jesus has given you and me the mind of, of Christ. 
and we can think his thoughts, but he wants us behind the wheel. He's given us the Holy Spirit that lives inside of us. He's given us a GPS system that, that is there guiding us and directing us. And if you and I can fantasize about all the different kinds of sexual distortions that's going on in our life, can we not begin to picture in our mind a different reality? Can we not see with clarity Jesus with us all the time, in the car with us? When we're praying, he's sitting there in the chair with us. He, he's, he's right here this morning. Linnell Sanders' picture is an image that I want to invite you to look at for a moment. It's a portrait of Jesus speaking to all those that are gathered during this message on the Sermon on the Mount, and he's, Jesus is speaking these words, and there's all kinds of different people in this portrait. There's young and there's old. There's men and women, boys and girls. There's, there's people of different skin tones. And the Sea of Galilee is in the background, and Jesus, well, can't you see yourself in that picture? I hope you can and in the midst of Jesus' teaching, he, he catches your eye, and you, your eye meets Jesus, and you see these eyes. You've never seen eyes like that before in your life. And he's gazing at you. He's looking at you with a pure love. And as your eyes catch Jesus, he motions for you, and he stands up. And you, you see yourself standing up. And he's motioning you to follow him, and he's leading you up toward that butterfly, into the meadow, into the lilies of the field, into the flowers of the field, into the beautiful lushness of the grass. And you and Jesus find a place there along that hillside, looking out over the water, And you playfully look up at the clouds. And now, can you see in your mind's eye with your eyes closed, can you, can you visualize you and Jesus there with each other? And would you say to Jesus right now, Lord, what do you want to say to me? Lord, what do you want to say to me? And let's... We're just going to give you a few moments to practice that, to let Jesus speak into your life right now, you and Jesus together. Lord, what do you want to say to me?